would love to welcome everyone to tonight's Citizens Climate University. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight we're going to be focused on June 2022 lobby training, focusing specifically on our primary and supporting asks. So you're going to join Vice President of Government Affairs, Dr. Danny Richter, for a training that's going to review the updates and context for our primary and supporting asks, as well as guidance for lobby teams as they plan our online meetings. And again, this is a recommended training for anyone on CCL's network that is planning on joining a part of their team's lobby meetings coming up in the month ahead. Um, but before we jump in, let me just provide an introduction for the man who needs no introduction. Dr. Danny Richter is Vice President of Government Affairs for CCL. He's been on staff since 2013, after five years as a volunteer. Danny completed his PhD getting paid to do research on all seven continents. That's another great story. We heard a little bit more about that on the Nerd Corner this last week when we launched that. And as CCL's first staffer in DC, he established our DC office, where he's been responsible for developing our overall legislative strategy, clarifying the details of our policy and interacting with other groups in Washington. He's also overseen our research program. And so tonight, all of those skill sets are going to be combined and we are all in for a real important update. Danny, I will pass it to you to take it from here and thank you all so much for being here tonight. Well, thank you very much, Brett, for that kind introduction, as always. And thank you, everybody, for, for joining us. Uh, for those of you that are wondering who tuned in last week, I'm feeling much better. I had uh, COVID last week, uh, but uh, my energy is back up, so we'll be able to do the full hour tonight. Uh, I have three learning goals for you tonight. Uh, number one is to understand the six segments that we're going to be using for our June 2022 meetings and which segment your member belongs to. I hope that you'll leave this webinar uh, having understood what the 2022 primary asks are and which uh, to use for each member of Congress segment. And then I also want to discuss CCL's supporting asks and what they would accomplish, as well as how they can accomplish your relationship. So those are the goals for tonight. And we're going to do that. First, we're going to cover the segments, then we're going to cover the primary asks, then we're going to cover the supporting asks. We'll have some final notes from this moment, and then we'll have lots of time for Q&A. So pretty straightforward uh, uh, schedule there. So let's talk about segments. Uh, why are we doing segments? Well, this, this actually isn't really a big change in practice, uh, but we are being more intentional about the asks and just identifying which segment of Congress um, you're, you're approaching. What do I mean by a segment? Uh, we, have, we have six segments. And so um, those are, well, I'll go over those in a moment, but uh, we are gonna be doing a deeper dive at the conference uh, in DC on each of these segments. Uh, we're gonna have six breakouts led by CCL staff. They're going to include a mock lobby meeting where uh, staff members will pretend to be a member of Congress from that segment, and there'll be time for Q&A. And uh, the goal here is just to provide more refinement. Again, we've, we've done this before. We've had as many as five primary asks in the past for different segments of Congress. Uh, we're just naming that, being more intentional about it and uh, doing a deeper dive. So let's go over those six segments. Here they are, Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans, House Progressive Democrats, House Populist Republicans, 
House Reagan file Democrats and House moderate Republicans. So two segments in the Senate, four segments in the House. Uh, what do we mean by Senate Democrats and what is what is some of the additional detail that we have here? Well, Senate Democrats as a rule are going to be pretty open to bipartisan climate solutions and open to supporting most climate legislation that comes to the floor. Most are already are ready to support a carbon price if given the opportunity. A lot of these members feel they are already there on climate and don't need to be lobbied on climate action. In their view, Republicans are the problem, not them. However, they still need to hear from constituents that climate is a priority, even in the face of all the other challenges in the world. So that's what Senate Democrats uh, look like, and that's what they need to hear. Senate Republicans uh, believe that climate change is real, largely driven by human activity, and are open to federal action to address it. They're willing to support bipartisan action to a degree, such as the Growing Climate Solutions Act, the Use It Act, the BEST Act, and other supporting acts that CCL has helped get over the line. If it is not targeting the fossil fuel industry, or if it is not a mandate, they will be open to it. However, there is still more work to do, not only to grow the ambition of the policies Senate Republicans are willing to support, but also to prevent the repeal of progress on climate. Doing both of these things will be important over the next decade. Now let's talk about, um, I'm actually gonna skip to uh, House rank and file Democrats. And uh, so this is number five. Uh, you can also think of these as moderate Democrats. House rank and file Democrats view federal action on climate as a top priority. They are eager to support meaningful climate solutions, particularly bipartisan solutions. House rank and file Democrats typically vote as a block on climate policy with their party leadership, which is why we characterize them as rank and file because they vote with the leadership. There are generally two subsets on climate within the category of rank and file Democrats. Roughly 100 members within this category who will actively seek out opportunities to introduce bills and opportunities to collaborate across climate policy areas. And 20 to 25 members who are considered moderate, uh, who have more nuanced positions on climate policy. They will usually support climate legislation when it is brought to the floor, but only after consideration of the impact on their district, industries within their district, agriculture, and American households. So those are the House rank and file uh, Democrats. And all of this, I will note, uh, is online. Uh, so if you go to the Reviewing Primary and Supporting Ask training page, you'll find uh, what I'm reading through right now. Now let's go to those House progressive Democrats. They support a much larger government and expanded social safety net with a focus on addressing economic, social, and racial inequality. House progressive Democrats are vehemently committed to realizing sweeping federal action on climate change. They focus on environmental and climate policies that address longstanding environmental justice issues. House Progressive Democrats strongly prioritize climate. These members sometimes voice opposition on specific climate policies because they don't view them as going far enough or do not address other social priorities as well. Most members of this group you can find because they're in the House Progressive Caucus. Uh, now let's talk about the uh, House Populist Republicans. These members are highly critical of the government, seeing most actions as wasteful and inefficient, and highly critical of our economic system as a whole, believing it is flawed, unfa unfairly favoring powerful interests. This group includes two subsets on climate. 
a small group that are members of the Conservative Climate Caucus, and the remaining majority that do not believe in climate change or do not support federal action on the issue. All of these members are often skeptical of climate science and view the left's response as fear-mongering. House populist Republicans strongly oppose additional federal environmental regulations and mandates. When these Republicans do engage on environmental issues, they focus on deregulation, energy independence, global competitiveness, and American innovation. These members are likely part of the House Freedom Caucus and the Republican Study Committee. And let's finish up with House moderate Republicans. These members firmly believe that climate change is real, that it is largely driven by human activity and must be addressed by federal policy. They're often keen on market-based and all of the above energy policies and are eager to develop bipartisan climate and, and environmental solutions. These members frequently break from their party on a variety of policy issues, including occasionally supporting stringent environmental regulations and mandates. There are roughly 30 to 35 House moderate Republicans and they are members of the Tuesday Group Caucus, also called the Republican Governing Group Caucus. They frequently work with Democratic members to develop bipartisan climate legislation that addresses a specific issue in their district. So those are the segments. We're going to talk more about them. So I just said a lot. Again, that is uh, online. Uh, and let's, let's go over primary asks. We're going to talk about the primary ask through the lens of each of these segments. Uh, but first, we're going to present a, a simplified view. Uh, so for Democrats, we actually only have one primary ask. Uh, so there, there are three total primary asks. All Democrats are gonna have the same primary ask. So even though we have uh, three Democratic segments, same primary ask for all of them. Uh, so this is a simplified view. And that primary ask is help America meet President Biden's climate pledge. Now, why is this appropriate? This is appropriate because this is where their heads are at. Democrats have spent virtually the entire Congress in the reconciliation headspace. Remember that they passed a reconciliation bill to address COVID in March of 2021. In their minds, their election chances run through legislative success and legislative success in their headspace, this Congress means reconciliation. They need constituent voices to refocus their attention on the science of climate change and to hold them accountable for doing something because while they are thinking primarily about reconciliation, there are also plenty of distractions for them. So that's why this is the appropriate ask for Democrats this time around. Now let's look at uh, Senate Republicans as well as House moderate Republicans. So this is two of the three uh, Republican segments. And for this, we are encouraging you to use one of our supporting asks, which I'll go over later, as the primary ask. Why is this appropriate? Well, the national attention right now is on the Democrats because they control both chambers of Congress. While the focus is on the other party, you can get more done. So we want to get Republicans in the Senate and House moderates to go as far as possible on climate before the next Congress and when people are looking more closely at them. Bills they can sign on to puts them on the record and gives them more of an opportunity to talk about climate as part of their record, part of their success. That is a necessary reflex for them to have before the next Congress. So it's really important to get them further onto the record now while we have this window of opportunity. And for uh, House uh, 
populist Republicans, uh, the primary ask is going to be help America win. Have a look at a carbon border adjustment. Now, this is appropriate because it uses language and framing that they are comfortable with. It responds to evidence that leaders within this group find this an interesting approach. And this is our best chance for setting up carbon pricing discussions in the future, uh, because we are probably headed towards a divided Congress um, in the future. And we are also expecting the EU CBAM carbon border adjustment mechanism to start coming into place next year. So we want uh, House populist Republicans looking at the uh, carbon border adjustment mechanism. Now let's look at each segment individually and what kind of pushback you might expect to the primary ask. Let's begin with Senate Democrats. Remember, they are open to bipartisan climate solutions. They're ready to support a carbon price, but they still need to hear from constituents to consider other challenges, and they are considering other challenges and priorities. So they need to be refocused on climate. And the pushback you might get on the primary ask, which is at the bottom here, help America meet President Biden's climate pledge, is that you should go talk to Manchin. So what I'm envisioning here is you're in the meeting with a Senate Democrat, you're meeting with the aide and the aide says, you know, you don't need to talk to us because we're good on climate. You should go talk to Senator Manchin. And the essence of your response should be, no, you should go talk to Senator Manchin. It's up to you to make this work. We are counting on you to make the most of this opportunity for the climate. And this is an appropriate response because our volunteers, our wonderful volunteers in West Virginia, they've been speaking to the good senator uh, from West Virginia, Senator Manchin, this entire time. And so it's really not appropriate for them to ask somebody who's not from West Virginia to say anything to Senator Manchin, but they pass Senator Manchin in the hall all the time. They pass his staff. And this is part of us bringing climate forward to them is pointing out you are the ones who have the opportunity to speak um, with this key senator and to bring him on board with this. So that's that's the pushback we might expect. And uh, I would just, we are encouraging you to just call them out on it. They're the ones who work with Senator Manchin. Now let's look at House rank and file Democrats. Remember for them, federal climate action is a top priority and they are eager to support bipartisan climate solutions and that they typically vote as a block on climate policy following the leadership. The pushback you might expect is they will say, well, this is in the Senate's hands. We already passed reconciliation. We passed Build Back Better last year. And so there's nothing we can do about this. And here again, this ask, the primary ask of helping America meet President Biden's climate pledge is going to be useful to push back on that because reconciliation will again be in their hands. And when it is, we want you to seize this opportunity to make major progress on our science-based, nationally determined contribution. So don't let House Democrats, rank-and-file Democrats, off the hook uh, that this is in the Senate hands. We want them to continue to engage because the reality is, even though they're on the other side of the Hill to Senator Manchin, uh, they have a lot better chance of seeing him, of influencing Democratic leadership, of encouraging them to continue to try and uh, move move uh, climate legislation forward. So that's House rank and file Democrats. Now let's look at House progressive Democrats uh, and context. They support an expanded social safety net, including an environmental justice focus. They're committed to realizing sweeping federal action on climate change. 
And they sometimes will voice opposition on certain climate policies because they don't go far enough. And so the pushback you might expect in your meetings is that reconciliation is not big enough. They want $6 trillion of spending. They are very unhappy with the $550 billion that is uh, that Senator Manchin has said he could get behind uh, in theory. And you want to want to push back on this, that the, the climate provisions of the reconciliation package would be the biggest investment this country has ever made in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so you want to this is the how you want to engage should you get that particular pushback, which you might expect from progressive Democrats. So now let's look at Senate Republicans. Uh, context here, they believe that climate change is real, largely driven by human activity, and are open to federal action to address it. They're willing to support bipartisan action to a degree, and the Growing Climate Solutions Act, the Use It Act, and the BEST Act are standout examples. And they work to grow the ambition of the, we are trying to work to grow the ambition of the policies they are willing to support and to prevent the repeal of climate progress. And the pushback really depends on the supporting ask. Uh, we are encouraging that you use one of the supporting asks as the primary ask here, but also say, uh, we're not actually expecting all that much pushback here. Uh, I think that uh, when you bring the four, one of the four supporting asks to uh, Senate Republicans, I think they're going to be pretty on board with that. I think it'll be a productive discussion. So these should probably be easy meetings. Uh, for House moderate Republicans, remember the context. They believe that climate change is real, largely driven by human activity. They're open to federal uh, action to address it. They're keen on market-based and all of the above energy policies and are eager to develop bipartisan climate and environmental solutions. They frequently break from their party, including occasionally supporting uh, stringent environmental regulations and mandates. And here again, it's a supporting ask. And just as with Senate Republicans, we're not actually expecting a lot of pushback here on the supporting asks. We think these will be productive and fun conversations. House populist Republicans. Uh, remember the context here is that they're highly critical of the government and the economic system. They're often skeptical of the climate science and view the left's response as fear-mongering. And when you bring the primary ask to them, help America win, have a look at the carbon border adjustment. The pushback you might reasonably expect is that China is a bad actor. They're the real problem. Uh, so we need to get China to do this. We, we're fine. That's what you might expect. And you want to just turn this right back around and then this is exactly how we hold them to account with a carbon border adjustment. Once the EU implements a carbon border adjustment mechanism starting next year, it will be easier for other countries that have carbon prices, including China, they also have a carbon price, to also put a carbon border adjustment on us. So we are asking you to get ahead of China by looking at this issue, giving it serious consideration. So we expect you might see China as the bad actor here, and we just want to dive right into that, turn it right back around on them. Uh, this is exactly why we need to, why we want you to look at this. And here's a, here's a brief summary uh, for Democrats, all Democrats in the House and Senate. The primary ask is help America meet President Biden's climate pledge because we need to refocus them on getting reconciliation over the line, the biggest investment in, um, in climate action in our nation's history. 
for Republicans in the House and Senate, moderate Republicans and Senate Republicans were encouraging you to use a supporting ask as the primary ask to get them to go further. Uh, so they, they uh, get some practice this Congress uh, talking about how they support climate action and carry that momentum forward into the next Congress. <clears throat> and for House populist Republicans, help America win, have a look at the carbon border adjustment um, because that is the, uh, if we can get them thinking about this, that is very fr fruitful ground for uh, arriving at a carbon price in the next Congress. I do also want to bring up a carbon price uh, because some of you uh, may be concerned uh, that there, why isn't there more, um, why isn't this more prominent in the primary asks? And uh, part of this is because right now high energy prices are effectively a carbon price. Uh, so when you look at it just since last January, the price of gasoline has gone up by an amount equivalent to a $158 carbon price. That's year 15 under carbon fee and dividend. And just since January, the price increase on natural gas is equivalent to a $78 carbon price. That's year seven of carbon fee and dividend. So right now, there are already very high energy prices. And we are expecting this to reduce demand for these fossil fuels. It is too early for definitive evidence, but we've already seen some indications that behavior is changing. For example, EV uptake. Um, and we also need to mot motivate action in both parties on climate now, right now. Uh, and let's remember the response that Democrats had to the repeal uh, to high energy prices when they started spiking. They were saying, let's repeal the gas tax, which is a terrible idea. Uh, so high energy prices are, are a big challenge right now. And while it may comfort you to think of the high energy prices we are all having right now as a carbon price, a year 15 carbon price on gasoline, a year seven carbon price on natural gas, um, this, uh, this is really not something you want to use as a talking point, either in Congress or in your conversations in the public. Because, of course, right now, these high prices are, it's like an uncontrolled experiment. Uh, they've risen very, very quickly. Uh, we've always advocated for a more um, predictable and, and gentle rise. Of course, there's no dividend. So households are having to bear these increased costs by themselves, and it's causing a lot of pain. Uh, so these are, this is an explanation for why there isn't more here. Uh, personally, uh, it's... Um, I am, I am glad that we are going to, we can look forward to reduced fossil fuel emissions, even though this is an uncontrolled experiment. Uh, so it eases my mind on that front. Uh, but this is not something to bring up in a meeting. This is not something to bring up in, um, your, uh, in your communities. This is just, this is just an explanation for you, very committed CCL volunteers as to why a carbon price is not more prominent in our primary asks at this lobby day. Uh, all right, let's move on to the supporting asks. Uh, so I'll just review just the, the, the filters that we use to evaluate a supporting ask. Uh, there are three filters here. Uh, number one, uh, it needs to achieve strategic goals. It needs to be bipartisan. There's only been one exemption to that. That was the hope for homes ask. And the reason for that is uh, it was at the beginning of unified democratic control. 
Uh, and so we thought it was it was that was how we could build relationships best. So that's the lone example of a non-bipartisan supporting ask. And they need to be complementary to the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Uh, so if you have something that is going to be duplicative, we're not going to put it as a uh, supporting ask. And I'll say that this year, just in general, it's going to be more important for Republicans than Democrats. So if you spend the entire time talking about the primary ask with Democrats and you never get to a supporting ask, that's okay. Uh, whereas you might have a little bit more, um, a little bit more urgency, of course, with moderate House Republicans and Senate Republicans, a supporting ask will be the primary ask. I would encourage you to have a second supporting ask to use as a supporting ask in those meetings. Um, it's just going to be more important this year for Republicans and Democrats. Um, part of that is um, where Democrats' heads are at. They really need to be refocused. Part of that is a lot of, if you look at the uh, membership on that, uh, they are already, uh, a lot of them have more Democrats than Republicans at this point. Uh, so there's just a greater need for Republicans on a lot of the supporting asks. Let's go over these. There's the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Of course, this has already passed the Senate, 92 to 8. More Republicans voted for it than Democrats. Uh, it is supported by uh, Senator Braun and Senator Stabenow. Uh, and it shows an incredible display of bipartisan support for climate solutions. It's in the title. And just to remind you of CCL's role, uh, we supported this bill before it was reintroduced in the 117th Congress. So we were very early in supporting this. And Senator Stabenow, the Democratic lead in the Senate, highlighted CCL as one of two groups uh, to uh, a reporter showing support for the Growing Climate Solutions Act. The other was Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So we are right up there in the good senator's mind. Uh, the House has not yet voted on this, but it is sponsored by Representatives Stanberger and Bacon. And uh, here is the one pager for this, which you can get on community and let's see here, the strategic significance of the Growing Climate Solutions Act is to get farmers on side with climate solutions. If you don't get farmers on board with climate solutions, you're not gonna get climate solutions, it's that simple. And what this bill does is it establishes a greenhouse gas technical assistance provider and third party verifier certification program. It establishes USDA certification. It organizes an advisory council, uh, the USDA uh, USDA report to assess progress in carbon markets. So this is what the Growing Climate Solutions Act does. And again, the strategic significance here is to get farmers on side with climate solutions. This is a recommended supporting ask for, uh, for the House and recommended as a primary ask for moderate House Republicans. Next one is the Forest Act. Uh, the full name, Fostering Overseas Rule of Law and Environmentally Sound Trade. There's the one pager. Uh, big strategic significance here. There's a lot of Republican enthusiasm for planting trees right now. Uh, manifest uh, most, most uh, characteristically in the Trillion Trees Act. <clears throat> this is, uh, we believe, a better, more significant act <coughs> Excuse me, than Trillion Trees. Uh, and the reason we think that, it would, what it would do is it would increase reporting transparency for international supply chains uh, for goods produced from illegally deforested lands. So this is really about stopping illegal deforestation and having accountability there. It provides assistance to reduce illegal deforestation 
uh, and uh, deforestation would be included in U.S. financial crime criteria. There would be a purchasing preference for deforestation-free products. We recommend this as a primary ask for Senate Republicans and for House moderate Republicans. Uh, so this is those are this is the highest leverage place to use this uh, this as a primary ask uh, or as a supporting ask. Next, this is a new one: the National Climate Adaptation and Resilience Strategy Act, or NCARS. There's the primary ask. The strategic significance here is uh, to really bring forward the salience of climate impacts into upstream climate considerations and decision-making at the federal government. This is gonna make it so that the federal government very early on considers climate impacts in all their decision-making. That's a good thing. What it would do is it would require a unified national approach to climate adaptation and resilience efforts. It authorizes a new White House position to lead the national climate adaptation effort and strategy development process. It supports the establishment of interagency resilience working groups and a non-federal partners council. And this is a recommended primary ask for Senate Republicans and for House moderate Republicans. So you have a couple of choices here for those two segments. And then again, we have the Reinvesting in Shoreline Economies and Ecosystems Act or RISE Act. Significance here is it gives states a greater financial stake in solutions. And I'll highlight here, it's not just coastal states. It's, it's all states. So uh, this is not just for coastal states. This is not just for Great Lakes states. This is an appropriate ask for all states. And what this bill would do is it would create a funding stream for coastal infrastructure and resilience efforts for vulnerable communities threatened by sea level rise and coastal erosion. It creates a revenue sharing model for federal offshore wind revenues with states so that states can actually keep more of the revenue. And it amends the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act uh, or Go Mesa to, uh, again, facilitate these, these goals. And this is a recommended supporting ask for the Senate. So we don't recommend you use this as a uh, primary ask for Senate Republicans. It's not in the House, it's only in the Senate. Uh, so this is a good supporting ask for the Senate. And here's a summary. Uh, this is on the training page on community, but you can see here for Senate Democrats and Republicans, uh, NCARS is good. Growing Climate Solutions Act has already passed, so please don't ask senators to pass something that they've already passed. The Forest Act and the RISE Act are both good in the Senate. In the House, NCARS is good. Growing Climate Solutions Act is great. The Forest Act is great. Uh, and the RISE Act, there is no House bill yet, so avoid the RISE Act in the House. And so just some final thoughts before we get to Q&A here. We hope that using the segments uh, will help you to think more strategically about your members of Congress. Uh, this is something uh, I hope the descriptions I provided, you know, I spent a good amount of time doing that. Hope that was useful. Hopefully that gives you more points of traction to think about this. And hopefully by going over the uh, expected pushback, uh, you'll be better prepared to enter the meetings with your member who belongs to that segment. The primary asks this time, this June, are about meeting the opportunities of this moment in time. Uh, this moment in time of high energy prices already, uh, this moment of time where uh, members of both parties are distracted by elections, by other things going on, and really need to have constituents remind them that climate isn't going away, it remains a priority, and we want to see wins this Congress. 
And the supporting asks are more important in Republican offices this time around, um, particularly for those words that are going to be used that you choose to use as primary asks. Um, but those are those are the closing thoughts um, here. Danny, thank you so much. The crowd is going wild. You can just hear the hum and roar of the Zoom attendance tonight. You're also welcome to log your training. You can also, a reminder, log any of your trainings at any point on the Action Tracker. So get credit for all the learning you're doing. And after tonight, given that we haven't answered all of the questions of the universe, if you have anything for follow-up, please feel free to use CCL Communities Forums. CCL's DC staff does a wonderful job, as well as the rest of us in responding to anything you might have questions about with policy or anything connected to what we've reviewed tonight. And as always, we look forward to seeing you again soon. We hope that you found tonight's training empowering in your preparations for your lobby meetings. And I'm going to unmute all lines so that we can celebrate Danny and your amazing preparation. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.